everybody. Welcome to the product world. My name is Norin and I'm a product manager in tech. And today I'm so excited to have with me Jeremy. Jeremy Peters is one of the most brilliant product creators and thinkers out there and is currently group product manager at CloudBeds where I work and how Jeremy and I met. Jeremy, could you please share more about yourself and your work and just introduce yourself? Sure. And thank you, Norin, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So as you said, my name is Jeremy Peters. I work currently at CloudBeds and work in the product area specifically on distribution here for our hotels and other properties. And when we talk about distribution, we're talking about how do we get properties inventory out into the world? Um, You've probably heard of familiar distribution partners like Booking.com, Airbnb, Verbo, Expedia. So we work with all those partners to distribute our properties inventory out to prospective guests. Um, I've been doing that for about five and a half years now here at CloudBeds. And then before that, I was working at Oracle as a program manager for about six and a half years. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Thanks for like introducing yourself <laughs> overview of distribution because I know when I joined CloudBeds and I'm new to the hospitality industry, I was like, distribution? I don't know what that means. But yeah. So it, my friends and family also say that very often. Um, so I have to... I've crafted a spiel to get them to understand it. Usually I just say like Airbnb and booking and they're like, oh, I know. I get it. <laughs> Everybody like knows about like Airbnb and booking. So like, yeah, if you you say that, they're like, oh, I know what that means. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here today because honestly, like I admire your work so much and working with you is just so fantastic and so smooth and easy. And as I, I think like as a product manager, I look up to you so much. So it's it's super awesome that you're here today. I know we were also just talking about just in general, how crazy of a season it's been. So like January was just rough for so many people. Yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> out of that in February. So yeah, I'm just excited to like have you here. How have you been doing overall? Like was January like also tough for you coming out of like a holiday season and just preparing to get back into work and everything like that? Yeah, I always feel like coming out of the holidays, things are a bit lagging. I think everyone's kind of coming out of various vacations. I know at club, it's too, we're staggered in terms of people who are taking Christmas holidays. We have a lot of folks in Ukraine and Eastern Europe, and they're taking Orthodox Christmas. And then those that celebrate uh, non-Orthodox Christmas uh, do earlier in December. So I think there's a certain, it takes a certain amount of time for us to get our, ourselves back in sync with each other. Then on a personal level too, it's just for December and November, I'm traveling a lot personally. So I'm usually visiting my family out in Southern California. I'm based out of Austin, Texas. So there's a lot of hauling family back and forth. And it just takes a, a lot out of you. Um, <laughs> and there's also the encountering sicknesses along the way in the travel world. So yeah, yeah I think all of that like, takes time to resettle a bit as they come into the new year. Um, but I think, like you said, as they come into February, things seem to be getting rooted back into habits. And I think all of us are taking steps forward together out of the holiday season. No, that's real. I feel like it's like the year of efficiency for tech. That's like what everybody's calling it, like with all of the the layoffs and um, just the cuts and everything and like the the focus on on budget and spending. And for all of us working in tech, it's like the year of resetting. Like we're so tired. Um, yes, that's true. Especially coming out of the holidays too. I think that like lays into it and there's a certain amount of mental exhaustion that comes with that. But it seems to be settling, I'm hoping. And then as we push into 2023, I'll just move forward from everything and leave the beginning of the year behind. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just pretending like January and February. Like it didn't really happen. It's fine. Yes, That's exactly. at least my mentality. But <laughs> I'm like, I, I know you're like joining us from San Diego right now. I'm in Seattle. And honestly, I'm so, so envious of the sunshine that you are experiencing right now. But 
Yeah, like here's to the sunshine that is to come for yeah. all of us. Let And on that super cheesy note that I just made, I am so, like I said, I'm really excited that you're here. I was like thinking how I'd love to like discuss like more about your background and your path to product management since it's a little bit more of like a non-traditional background that you see today. And I noticed that you studied social anthropology and psychology at Harvard. That's right. You went to Harvard. I know you don't like to talk about it because you, but I would like to brag about the fact that, you know, nobody knows what Harvard is anyways. It's fine. No. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I And then after you began looking at your career in program management at Oracle. So why did you, you know, choose to study your degree and how did that lead you to your role at Oracle? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I first picked up on psychology in high school, um, taking my first class there and realized I really liked it. I mean, in tandem with just generally enjoying to observe people and um, enjoying helping people as well. So I thought, you know, this was a good thing to do and possibly to get more into when I transitioned to college. I think there's also a certain sense of like psychology as a way that you can understand yourself. And that really appealed to adolescent me who was trying to understand herself at the time. So I always thought, you know, I want to grow up and work as a researcher in the field. But then I took my first psychology classes in college and I liked it, but I didn't love, love it. So I started dabbling in social anthropology instead. And those classes really interested me because they ranged from broad topics like the social anthropology of sports and recreation or the anthropology of food to really narrow topics like consumerist behaviors of first-generation Asian Americans in in New England uh, or something more sobering like the genocide in Rwanda. And I really remember embracing that subject as a whole and because it focused on understanding how people behave as a collective whole in a way that was more bottom-up and humanistic versus something more top-down like sociology or something more individualistic like psychology. So it just kind of stuck with me and I just started taking more classes in it and ended up with a degree in social anthro, but always did like a bit of the psychology part. So I did also do a joint uh, concentration in that too during college. So I didn't quite ever leave it behind. So transition to graduating college out of there, trying to find a job at work. You know, I happened to be home with my family in Las Vegas and ran into a man walking a dog and he happened to be uh, high up at Oracle and was looking for someone on his team to be a program manager. And we just started to get into talking. A lot of serendipity, I think, in, in this situation and uh, asked me to apply for a job, which I did, and then ended up being a team member on his, it was called Oracle Insights at the time, on that team under a, a wonderful manager out of San Diego, who I've learned so much from over the years. Um, I ended up moving to San Diego and then going into program management first in the office and then slowly became a remote job. And with Oracle, it was great exposure. I had to learn a lot very quickly. It was a global team. I got to wear many hats and use what I learned in anthropology, which is empathizing with people and their problems to create varied solutions for them by taking into account things that aren't always one size fits all, I guess, approaches. So being able to understand like what's a problem for an RMEA team versus the APAC team versus North America and how can I help create resources around those teams that bring value to them? And it was it's different for each one. And being on that team really helped me start to hone those skills and, and to pull in what I learned in college too, if that helps. Oh, <laughs> I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I like that there is that aspect of anthropology and psychology that definitely comes into play. 
no matter like where you work, right? Understanding mm-hmm. and empathizing, they're very strong core skills that a lot of people may not think about cultivating or working on because they are like soft skills. And we put such a hard focus on like hard technical skills. So it's it's cool to hear how valuable that was. It sounds like it was also like valuable in you actually getting your like a first job too and yes. being <laughs> engaged and, and hold that conversation and like network properly. I'm curious, like when you were working at Oracle, what were kind of like the biggest takeaways or learnings that you had from this like specific role? I think you were in a couple roles at Oracle too, right? So yeah, uh, I was in two. So I started in program management and I was in that for about five years. And then after that transition into being a communications manager for our key accounts team. But program management was really where I got thrown into the deep end. It's really where I got to get my legs under me, so to speak. And I learned a lot there uh, well, in both roles, but really PMing, program managing, not product managing at the time. Um, it helped me learn the industry one. So just tech in general, especially with big tech, it was a really great learning experience there. I learned how to work both in person and with remote teams, which has been really useful to me to this day, working with a global team and finding ways to bring those teams together and how to be a bridge between many teams, whether that's technical and non-technical teams, and then relationship management. And so in program management, it was just really a, a whole host of skills to build a set of resources, reporting, uh, and metrics that could be useful for my team. Communications was a small part of that. And it actually is a thread that kind of leads me to cloud. Uh, so one of the things we had to do is program management. I mean, there was a lot of things, but was to find a way to better communicate to our team as a whole. Um, we happened to have an internet website uh, that we could use. And I started messing around with the code there and actually found it was something I really liked to do. And then when I got into the communications management role, I mean, in addition to getting to write newsletters and run webinars and run our key events event at Oracle Open World each year, I got to keep honing these website skills. And I really just dabbled in coding and HTML and front-end work and thought after about six years at Oracle, finally, I think this is this might be where I want to go with my journey. And I, I lend a lot to Oracle and give them credit for letting me explore that and go into roles that allowed me to cultivate that. And I don't want to get too far ahead and, and talk about how I end up at CloudBeds, but just wanted to pause there too, if I'm getting too off topic from your original question. <laughs> no, I, I like it. I like this, whatever thread that you like feel that you want to go on, it's, it's great because it's authentic to like your experience and you're sharing it and it's valuable to hear. I'm so curious to know, well, one, firstly, I want to observe something that you did, which was that you zigzag. You looked for other opportunities and you it sounds like you dive deeper into coding and looking through hosting different things like the big events that you had, like the webinars and newsletters, like different areas that you could touch upon. It sounds like you were kind of curious and you also sought and took the initiative to explore these areas and were fortunate enough to have an organization like you mentioned Oracle that supported that. But I think that is like a key thing there that you took that initiative. And so it's it's something that folks can do is like take initiative and get involved in other areas that might not be directly related to your role to explore like this is actually what I really vibe with and this is like the right fit for me. So I wanted to call that out. And the second piece was I was just curious to know coming from like a non-technical background, how did you ramp up technically? Like what did you do to get to a point where you were like coding and you were more technical? So initially I just I bought books and then I just tried to find resources online. But I realized that it was going slow and I didn't really know where to go from there. And I didn't 
have a lot of engineering friends at the time to assist with that. So I did the trendy thing at the time, or maybe it still is trendy, which is sign up for a coding bootcamp and take one of those 12 week classes, which I did. And it was it was much more challenging and intense than I thought. Um, and at the end of it, I realized I was not meant to be an engineer or a website coder, but that I liked working with people who did, which I was to a degree at Oracle. But out of that came my desire to learn more about product management and being that person who would become the interface between the business side and engineers and really pivot to all these different parts of the business to execute a product. So it was actually out of that coding bootcamp that I killed my first dream of, of wanting to be an engineer. That's fine. Uh, but then I realized the second one of, of wanting to go into product and had a very wonderful career counselor who pointed me to CloudBeds. And at first, I thought they were a mattress company, which many people I've heard do think that. And so I ignored the job post at first. And then after a second review, decided to apply for it after I learned that they're actually in hotel technology and they focus on traveling and they're actually a pretty darn cool company. <laughs> so like direct feedback for our leadership, like our CT suite. Yeah. Maybe yes, exactly. would have been better. Like yeah, a little bit, but it's okay. Um, we're getting a reputation beyond our just the name itself, and I think yeah. we're much uh, larger, a larger uh, company now, and more uh, visible than we were. I think five and a half years ago when I started, when we were under a hundred employees. Yeah, so, but I do. People, like, we are beds out. We are beds yes. and that's like we are. True. Don't mess it's with us. Very true. Yes, but I definitely want to give a shout out to Oracle for this because they uh, they gave me a stipend to buy those coding books at first and encouraged me to go in this direction, even though it was, it was really a tiny part of my larger role there, for which I learned so much else too. It's like, I talk about this coding part, but there was so much more to that, just building relationships and communication, knowing how to operate in a business setting, report it. I mean, so much, but they did nurture that bit of me. And I'm thankful for companies that can do that and, and give their employees the ability to explore these parts of them that they want to build. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's like a big difference when you have an organization that like supports you and you have like people, it's not just like the company, it's the people in the company too, right? That actually come out and be like, oh yeah, let's let's get you working on what you want you care about or let's support you in exploring like other roles and things like that. And that's something Callbets does a lot of too. Mm-hmm. It's so awesome to see. It makes a big difference in like the individual's experience. Also would like to say that like you did a 12-week boot camp and like you learned this. That was way more efficient than my process. I got a degree in computer science engineering and I was like, you know, I That's love coding, but I like product management more. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, it's good to have a little of the tools under your belt to know how the like, how things operate under the hood, but sometimes it's not your forte or it's not like where you want to go. Not where you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I would totally like I'm just saying way more efficient than my process. So <laughs> Hats off to you. There's no efficient process though. I feel like that whole thing, like people, you don't know really. Oh, some people do what you want to be at that age and you're just kind of feeling it out. Um, And then you just take what you can from that experience and move forward with it and apply what you can to where you are now. So it was all, it was all the right thing to do. It was all efficient. Thank you for making me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. That's why it's true. No, that's true. And it sounds like what you did led you to combat. So. I mean, how did you hear about the role of CloudBeds? And what was that transition from Oracle to CloudBeds? You know, you making that decision, you making that jump. What was it yeah, like? Yeah, for sure. So heard about it through the bootcamp where there, there was a career counselor that was involved with us, which is great, a great resource. Um, and she was just giving us various jobs and brought the role of a, it was a connectivity manager um, was the name of the role to my attention. But again, thinking mattress company, declined that. 
But then a month, for some reason, a month later, I went back to it and then decided to click on the website, uh, then learn what they did uh, and applied for it and was really excited about it. Um, and I remember reaching out to the hiring manager who's still at a club as on LinkedIn and probably scaring him that I found out he was the hiring manager, um, asking him to interview me. And it was great. It was a really small company at the time. And we had, we don't have this office anymore in San Diego, but it was a an old craftsman's house, really beautiful. The, st- the stairs creaked a bit, but I remember going in and doing the interview there with Adam Harris, our CEO. And it just was, it was such a nice, wonderfully small and familiar feeling versus going to headquarters in Redwood City for Oracle, um, which felt like a, I always joke, it was like a Wizard of Oz area. <laughs> it was lots of glass. Also a great campus, um, but so different. And so like if that feeling was just different off the bat, even in the interview process, but I loved it. I liked that scrappy attitude. I liked the familialness of it. And then once I got hired, that continued, but there also was a certain sense of ambiguity, which I think comes with startup life, where it was really like, here's your role, define it, <laughs> get into it, figure out what needs to be done. Versus at Oracle, it was always pretty structured. And then, but then the projects were pretty narrow. But then when you're in startup world, it's very broad. And then you're just charged to learn on your feet. Uh, I know now we have learning paths at CloudBeds, which is great, uh, and product boot camps, but we didn't have those back then. And it was just a lot of API documentation I had to go through and then just learning the industry because I'm not from the hotel industry traditionally as well. So a lot of learning on my feet and there was guidance, but a lot of it was just like figure it out. And I like that. I like the autonomy of that. I'm good with that. So I really appreciated it. It was scary. I may have cried, <laughs> but it was really fun. And we all kind of came through it together uh, as a team. And we're all very close now, which has been really fun to, to see this whole thing grow over the years. It's so cool to hear about your journey being at CubEds when it was so small or being at like a small start because I joined when there were already like 700 employees. And so I think there's a lot to be taken away from what you shared, especially around scoping out the energy and sense of like, if you're going to like the job or not, like you mentioned how it felt more familial, it felt like scrappy. These are all things that resonated with you. And although most interviews are virtual now, there are still ways and you can sense like the, based on the mission of the company and the values they have and the stuff that they've defined in that space, you can kind of tell whether or not you personally are into it or vibe with it. And I think that's really important too, because like you found this company, you found CloudBeds and you're like, I really like the attitude that they have around this. And it is something that resonates with me. And it was that promise of like more autonomy and and you being able to control what you did. And that was something that you, an environment you like ended up thriving in. So it's it's important, I think, to like figure that out because some people might not like that as much. I know that I have some support. I don't like full autonomy just quite yet. But at the same time, I really love ambiguity. And that was like something that Cloudbus was going to offer. And the whole being scrappy, I like that. So those were things that also I was like, oh, it'd be cool to work here for those reasons. So I think that's all. Huh? Yeah, no, that's, I empathize with that. I, I, I feel the same way. Uh, but, you know, it's a double edged sword. It's like, yeah, it's scrappy, it's ambiguous, but it's like, it can be demanding at times. And it's a lot of responsibility. But at the end of the day, I, I find it super fun. I don't know if it's like dark fun because sometimes it can be very challenging, but I love it. It's thrilling. It's energizing. And and you're right. It's like the culture isn't for everybody, but it's it's not bad or good. It's just like, does this vibe with you? And I think Cloudbus has always been really good about being like, this is our culture and we want you to make sure you're happy and fit in it. Um, and I felt that when I've had that interview. And at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I want to be on this team. And it's been a good choice. And it's been a great set of people who all share that same 
value set like yourself. We're in in it together. (laughs) We are in it together. I also cry sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all got you. All of us have at one point cried at work. (laughs) If you haven't cried at work, share your secrets because you sound very well adjusted. And you're not living. You're not living or you're very (laughs) adjusted, depending on how you see it. Right. I want to know what you're doing. But that's true. There's definitely that like sometimes you ship something like working in big tech. A lot of the times when you ship a product, you can feel very secure in it, knowing that most Mm -hmm. likely this will be a success. And there are definitely things that I've worked on at CobBets. And I've been like, you know, this is really a toss up. And we're just going to learn as we go when we release this to customers. Um, Right. Yeah. It's fun in a weird way. It's it's fun in a weird way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's it's not... Well, I mean, you have a degree in psychology. You can probably analyze us better than I could. I do love flying armchair psychologists these days. Guilty pleasure. New topic for the podcast. We're just going to talk about the psychology of people who enjoy working in tough environments. Yes. Sign me up. Sign me up. I love it. (laughs) That's... I mean, that's super cool. And another thing that I've noticed about you, like at Coveds in general, is just like your crazy impressive career trajectory. Like whoever is listening, go on LinkedIn, look at Jeremy Peters and the timeline because her growth is exponential. And you started as connectivity manager, like you said, at Coveds when you first joined. And then in four years, you are already group product manager, leading a bunch of different teams in distribution. So, I mean, a lot of the your role today is driving a lot of the company's core strategic decisions. And you're like this main owner of this area. What do you think were like your keys to success in growing so quickly? Yeah, I think it kind of comes into that whole being thrown into the fire at the beginning and trying to just learn very quickly and owning an area that didn't have an owner. So I almost feel like that in the title, titles are titles, but in a way they kind of followed what I was doing anyway, naturally. Things grew really fast. Like like you said, we were at 100 people, less than 100 people five and a half years ago, and now we're at 700. And just the responsibility was there, I think, to be taken. But aside from that, just wanting and taking the initiative as a person there and not letting it come to me passively, I suppose. We had a whole product and distribution that didn't really have a product person overseeing it. It just it was driven by our engineers and just was like, okay, let's just keep this machine rolling. But there was a lot of room for improvement that I saw off the bat. That could be done. And our team has really grown because of that. Uh, we didn't have, I mean, we, for those listening, we have a PMS, which is a property management software, which is a front end, or sorry, a user facing application, many bells and whistles. And behind that on the distribution side is a channel manager, which is your engine for distribution. It's, it's more like a plumbing thing. Engineers focus on that, but no one focused on the front end of it. And it was not the best thing. So just realizing that building a plan around it and taking the initiative, I think goes a long way for people instead of just sitting back and like waiting for people to tell you what to do. And then naturally we had resources provided to me very, very graciously by the company um, and then just keep working to build this team. And we've grown from a small fashion. I started, it was just my allocator folks. So like six engineers. So I think now we're at like 16. We're a pretty big team here. So just continuing to find those places of improvement within the company and taking the initiative and, and running with it as fast as I can. <laughs> basically. How are you like able to... So like you talked about, like you notice this deficit in the front end experience. Like you notice that this is causing probably friction for, for the customer when they're doing something that's so important, like their distribution, which like you mentioned, is literally how as a property, your hotel rooms are like listed and available across these different channels, like channels being Airbnb, Expedia. So if they didn't imagine work properly, then you can't get your inventory out there, which is huge, right? No occupancy, no revenue, like 
Yes, we don't want that. This is literally like, it's like the function. It doesn't work. So you, you notice the stuff is like, and you formulated this plan around it. How did you convince the company to give you the resources to go build and improve this experience? Yeah, for sure. I think, well, one, it's starting to build relationships from pe- and finding people who back your vision, finding those allies early on too, and knowing who you'll need to help with. So I think just learning and talking to people helped a lot. Understanding what the pain points were from people who were here before me, uh, things that didn't get done. Um, they weren't really documented anywhere. It was just a lot of free-for-all stuff. Understanding that to taking some pointers from within, but then really starting to look to without. We have a really great, rich partnership uh, buffet of, of people we connect with. So I talked about Booking.com, Airbnb, Expedia, Verbo, Hostel World, which is the largest hostel distributor in the world, Nagoda, which if you're North America, you might know Priceline. They're a very large distribution company. They've done a lot of this stuff already. A lot of them are public companies. They have money. They have a lot of eyes on their software. Uh, there's a lot we could learn from them, and we still do. Um, how they structure their extranets, how they build relationships with guests. No one was really looking at that and bringing it into our system. Um, and then justifying their success or our success at CloudBeds, how we could be successful based on things that have already worked for them. So being able to transmit that and finding these patterns over to leadership went a long way. And then finding things in our system that a more recent thing, choosing a channel to build to, one of our, our newer channels. Knowing that they're comparative to Airbnb and being able to justify, okay, if we had this channel, this would probably happen. So finding patterns within our application, finding precedences within and without that we can compare to and, and say, I think we can be successful here and, and getting them people to back you. And then by virtue of that, getting resources thrown at us, well, not thrown at us, but graciously bestowed upon us to help realize that vision. Um, but also knowing that distribution does drive a lot of reservations for our properties. We've known that for a while. Booking.com, I think, does the bulk of all reservations coming into our system. And that compares also to direct bookings with almost 40%. Um, so without Booking.com, we're seeing a big problem with our system. And, and the company knows that and they want to keep that connection secure. Same with those other top ones I mentioned, Airbnb, Expedia. If we didn't have those running and running well and continuing to operate at, at great levels and, and uh, optimizing, we're not in a good place. So, so I think they realize that and they want to make sure that we're secure <laughs> and in that area. So if I had to like distill that down, I would say that you identified that there was something here, a gap that you saw like other industry leads were doing well. And you're like, why, why can't we do the same thing? And and then you kind of did that research, that background research to talk to people and you notice that there, oh, this is a common trend. This is a common problem. You then were able to formulate a plan, get people in your court and like get almost like the, uh, like you, I think you phrase it as in people that back you up and support you. Support and sponsors, that. I think the, sponsors, the business yeah. would be sponsors. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you were able to gather this like research and ladder this up to like core priorities for the organization and then present this as a formulated plan. And with that, get the support that you needed to get funding. There yeah, for sure. Like, That's a up. much better succinct explanation than my roundabout verbose. No, the, ver- no yes. the verbosity is good because I think it grounds it in real concrete examples. What I love is when it's possible to distill it down, I think it helps because this is something that's such a major challenge. Like a lot of times as a product manager or really ever, if you're ever advocating for yourself too, you have this great idea. And it's like, how do you get to a point where other people see that vision and you get buy-in so that you do get resources to execute on it? Mm -hmm. And it's a skill. It's hard. And so I think it's hard. uh, (laughs) Resources are scarce. Um, It is definitely hard. 
And the other thing too is like you can get them and then you got to prove it too. And if you don't deliver on what you say you're going to do and if it's not successful, then that your voice won't get heard as much in the future. So it's really too about backing that up with actual produced product. And so making sure that our teams are always churning things out that are meaningful to the business, having that recognized. And I think then it just kind of built on itself. Building credibility, mm-hmm. like like currency to you. Do you, do you uh, subscribe to that philosophy of, uh, under promise and over deliver. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing too, it's like, I think people always want to know timelines, right? And engineers hate giving timelines and I understand that. So I'm in that vein, for sure, always trying to blow out a timeline date into the far future so that way we can only deliver it early. <laughs> so yeah, trying to exceed people's expectations in certain ways if possible. But yes, yeah, so I do subscribe to that ideology to a certain degree for sure. That's real too, because I'm a major people pleaser. And so I always want to give the best possible answer. And I always have like a reach goal estimate in my head. Then mm-hmm. I have a more realistic timeline. And it's something I'm working on too. And the skill that I'm like, how do you overshoot so that it's not unreasonable, but also you don't, but also like to the point where like you don't under like overpromise and under deliver where you're like, we'll get this out in like a month, but actually it is a four month endeavor. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Yes. You know, and that's a skill that'll come with time. I remember feeling that way too when I was when I was younger. <laughs> I'm old, but I think it just something comes with experience, and it calibrates too on different organizations you're part of. Different teams have different velocities, and you learn that. So it changes depending on where you are in your career and what company you're at over time. But it's also just a product of experience. It's something I feel like I couldn't have known until I was in it and actually had started to deliver some things, and then was able to calibrate my expectations. I always was just, I'm the same way. Like I used to be such a people pleaser and I just always wanted to like give them good news. So I'd try and move those deadlines up a bit and then sometimes miss them and be like, oh no. But over time, you know, you learn to to find the sweet spot. Yeah. It's more important to like, I've, I've, like protecting your team and making sure that they feel comfortable than like pleasing someone else because a t- t- good tech takes time to build and it takes a lot of effort. Yes, that. 100%. This is true. And that's, I think that's something that through my career that I've let go of more is trying to make other people happy by overpromising and really being a lot more realistic or taking more time to think about it instead of giving something hastily and giving a, a delivery of a, a timeline or a product hastily. Like I'd rather sit on it a day, think about it and then come back with an answer. Yeah. Everything seems so urgent when it's about you and it's in the moment. But if you just yes. give it to the past, for sure, it's like you realize, oh, it wasn't as as important. And people forget. I love that at work. (laughs) Best thing. (laughs) People forget. (laughs) I know, it's so true. There's a lot going on. So it's a lot to remember and you can't remember it all. Yeah, that's true. That's that's awesome. And I think like, just like from watching you work too, I've noticed that you have this like innate talent of coordinating, like your superpower of coordinating and effectively communicating between cross-functional teams in a way that you bust down that complexity and you're able to like navigate that uncertainty. I mean, sometimes I read your Slack messages like, wow, that was so clear and concise. I don't even know how she wrote that, but that makes so much sense. I'm Uh, glad to hear that. It makes me feel happy. (laughs) Anytime. How have you developed these skills over time? I think I've always been a big writer and I've just always found opportunities to write. And sometimes I can be verbose because of it. And I used to feel very embarrassed about that and my verbosity, but it's something I realized that has been very helpful in the real world, like in the work world, to speak. 
And also it lends to anthropology writing as well, where you just want to be every behavior matters, every piece of detail there matters, and we want to take account of it and also contextualize it in a larger space. So I've taken that into my professional life and really just go about my day assuming no one knows anything, even though I might think they do. And sometimes I'm going to be verbose, but I'd rather be and have people in the know than not be. So just making sure I always start from that point of view. And that's why I like to be very detailed. And and also in when I'm not, I realize when people are like, wait a minute, where are we starting from? And it just takes more time in the long run to get people on the same page if you're just feeding them information piecemeal versus actually taking the time at the start and giving them the information they need and not overseeing a detail. And, and sometimes knowing you're going to repeat things three or four times. And that's okay, because I'd rather everyone be on the same page than us be on different pages and deliver the wrong thing or be frustrated. That's true. Especially as a PM, there's so much in your head. And mm-hmm. you may have said it like once or twice, or maybe even three times, but honestly, repeating it eight, 20 times, a thousand, doesn't matter. It needs to land somewhere. Even if you documented, not everyone's going to read the document. Not everyone's going to read the Jira ticket end cover to cover. So repeating is definitely a huge, huge important thing. And I, I actually have been reflecting on the verbosity piece. I think it's actually, you're so right because being working now where we're remote too, it makes such a difference because when you're looking at a Slack message, you don't register the same way as if you're having a conversation a lot of the times in person. Like conversations in person, details land easier and you recall them easier. But when you're on a Slack thread and there's like 30 messages going back and forth, you're just trying to keep up a lot of those details get lost. So repeating yourself on those threads or, or adding that verbosity, I think helps a lot because then it avoids that the doom slack spiral. I don't know if anyone else experiences this, but you know, when you're on a thread and every second there's a new message popping because everyone is so confused. Yes. Sometimes you can't keep up. I know. And it's a lot. You're getting the pings in, the, in your notification area. Yes, it's I agree. So I've learned to avoid that. Try and give as much information as possible. And also just, I feel like more people than you think don't know what you're talking about. I've also learned that. I used to edit the newsletter for technology for several years here. And I would edit a lot of people's blurbs and realize PMs come in, they have such great expertise on their subject, but they talk about it in a way that doesn't really give, what's the word, like not say a layman's perspective, but I guess distilling it down to something more simplistic for people to understand uh, as just a a non-specialist in that. And taking those cues... And knowing that, I always wanted to make it a point to communicate clearly to people who are non-technical, who have no idea what's going on, are non-specialists. Because here, there's a lot of people that need to know what we're doing in product, but they don't really grasp the technicalities of it, the sales folks and the support folks. Um, And it's very common to not communicate it clearly. And I just want to make sure that I'm not guilty of that and hope that we can communicate better outside the product org. Yeah. No, that's super important. And I think like the other thing I've learned is like, uh, because we're such a global team and everybody's like from all over the world, the more verbosity you add, the easier it is for just everyone to understand, even people who English is a good point. language. It's like a big difference. I've definitely also been on threads where there was miscommunication due to language and that's not yeah. fun either because then we have to get on a huddle and everyone's like, what's going on? Yes, that's like, such oh, a good point. <laughs> that's a really good point. And it's like, I don't say that about the newsletter stuff to, to knock people. It's just that it's a human tendency that I think that we just kind of forget about in our busy day-to-day lives and to be mi- like just being mindful of it and not just making people kind of pull the information out of you or jump on huddles because there's a miscommunication and, and wasting the time there. So yeah, that's just, just, I stopped apologizing for my verbosity. That's 
that's really the gist of it and stop not saying be ashamed of it, but I always felt bad about it, but it's gone a long way to making things a lot better. Yeah. This is a pointer for me. I'm taking this then. I was also today on a thread with you, Jeremy, that turned into that thread. <laughs> that had 35,000 messages on it with random people jumping in. And I was very confused. Yeah, we got there in the end. <laughs> we did get there in the end. There's also the global time difference there. One of our team members is off for the weekend. So we'll see what he says when he gets back. But I'm glad that we got there in the end <laughs> yeah. to get to that information. I should have given more context. I was between many threads and I was piecemealing it. And there's an example of what you don't want to do. <laughs> but I think one thing that what was happening when I saw like 30 messages kind of popping back and forth is I channeled my inner Jeremy and I was like, okay, I need to summarize the summary that was great (laughs) and then like is this what everyone is trying to say and it was and it was good catch because i think one person hadn't noticed what was he like what was happening and so it was going to be not good yes we got there like you said we we got got there in the end is the takeaway but also verbosity is good is the other (laughs) so better to respond clearly 100 and the summary too so many times i think i've communicated something clearly even in my verbosity we've all agreed on things as a team and then there's a misunderstanding later that's found because something isn't done the way we thought it was going to be. I've also learned like what you did on that thread today, that summary, repeat it. <laughs> repeat it back and say, is this exactly what you meant? These little things, you know, they go a long way, oddly. Yeah, for or sure. not so oddly. <laughs> I feel like that that is like the new, like per my last email for PMs is just like on Teams or Slack being like, did you not see like sending a link to this message? Like, or I like to use the emoji that points up and be like, <clears throat> yep. Come on, <laughs> please throw me a bone. Right. So there. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna start wearing a hat. This is per my last <laughs> message. <laughs> That's the end. Yes. But then oh. to get all that information, though, it's like you got to communicate too with other people to learn all that information. So it's like a complementary action to all that writing. It's interface with everyone you need to know. We need to to get to the answer or the context that you need to to give this information out to the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Takeaway is not the Iliad, but somehow longer than just like 10 words also. And it's it's relative, you know, it depends on the problem, of course, at hand. Could be, could be near Iliad. Hopefully not. Or sort of needed, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Jeremy. I mean, this was awesome. I was going to say effing awesome. And then I, <laughs> it went I had very to fast censor myself. <laughs> oh, it's okay. No worries. We're all friends here. <laughs> all friends here. If you had to provide current product managers three things to focus their energies on, what would it be? Hmm. Good question. Let's see. Never trying to say I could phrase this correctly. Always expanding your reach of communication. And I think as product managers do this, I think naturally, successful ones do because we have to talk with so many people different people across the org that span many different departments that we can pivot between others and 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 learn from so many different teams in a way that some other more siloed teams might not or might not have the opportunity to do but forming those relationships are so important even before you realize you need those people in your life so just keeping that outreach and communication open and realizing how i not say how little you know, but how much there is to learn from the world without you, even if it's not in your immediate department. And to just keep those conversations up. So communication is one. Let's see. Another one would be, I guess, finding your voice and, and being an advocate for yourself. Although I think 
that's not specific to product, although it helps a lot because we're always fighting for resources or fighting for our product to go to the next step um, in development and go to market. Um, and I think early on, I didn't have a voice when I was younger. And something I found is that being clear with what you want and want to achieve with your team and your leadership goes a long way and just opening your mouth. And sometimes I felt imposing, but that's not at all how it's taken. And to be strong-minded and and vocalize that. And don't be afraid if something gets shot down. So I guess uh, advocacy and confidence would be the second one. But again, that's I think that's for anyone in any type of career. And the last one, picking your battles, I suppose. Uh, but again, this is more general, I think. But for product people too, it's, I think we can always find problems to solve. Sometimes we go down little rabbit holes, but realizing that our time is finite and everything's an opportunity cost and to not get lost on something or not to die on a hill that might not be worth it. Because sometimes you get into something and you have to pivot off of it and just want to finish it, but it's not really the best use of your time and realizing that and being okay with saying, I'm, I can let this go. But yeah, picking your battles one has been an interesting one for me over the years uh, and finding the right battles to pick and Time has only become more precious as I've gone on in my career. So that has become a more important skill for me. Mm, I love that. Especially the last one, because it's hard to walk away from something that you're working on because you do get attached to it. Or that you're, the harder is that your team is working on and that they've invested their time in. And then you have to go back and confidently tell them why we can't keep doing this and why we're going to have to pick a different battle right now. Um, and that one always is hard for me. But I think empathizing with the team and providing them a good reason why we're going in another direction helps um, and then supporting them through it. But that one always is always hard for me. But and at a company like ours, we're always going in different directions. Sometimes things pop up and derail things. Um, and we just have to make sure that everyone yeah. morale-wise is okay with that. That's true. That's true. For sure. Especially because a lot of times I've noticed that when you're working with engineering and you do make those hard pivots, a lot of times like someone might feel like, well, I just wasted all this time and I did all this work. But I tried to like always say like, okay, what parts can we salvage too mm -hmm. and maybe reuse for the future? And also like to empathize with them, like you said, like it's the team is kind of pivoting. So, and we had, sometimes you make decisions and it's not the most like performant or optimized efficient one. And that's okay too. And the priorities shift. And as long as it's not happening like every other day, because then that's right. like a yes. problem. Very training. Yes. Bad. <laughs> Walk away from that team. <laughs> <laughs> then it's, it's kind of, normal in a way it's a part of a part of a shift being a part of a shifting economic climate being a part of a shifting like dynamic team and organization all of that kind of happens and as a meme that was very wise once said real winners quit although you shouldn't say that to your team or to competitive people <laughs> or to competitive people <laughs> maybe competitive people need to hear that and then that's they, true you they know like, hard Everyone in our company is very competitive. So I think that would help maybe. <laughs> like, yes. Speaking for myself, yeah. <laughs> Although it's tempered in age, 100% it's tempered in age. The ping pong table at the uh, at the headquarters in San Diego can get very heated, let's just say. That's where people let it out. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> well, in the time that we have remaining, I would love to quickly transition to some rapid fire questions. Uh, so what's going to happen here is I'm just going to ask you a question and like if you can respond 30 seconds to a minute, just top of your head, whatever speaks to your soul. Okay. Today. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Are you ready? I think so. Let's go. <laughs> By the uh, way. You are competitive. You're like, let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the first time. I'm You're not the first one who said that too. It's okay. <laughs> 
It's okay. I probably won't be the last and that's okay with you. Um, all right. Favorite book. So I'm going to say 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It was the first book I ever read in Spanish back in high school when I could speak more fluently. But just, I love the artistry of that book. And I mean, it has its ups and downs, but it's just this microcosm of family and them growing into a successful bunch of folks and then their downfall as well. And it's kind of just like, I'd say a, a microcosm of society as a whole, but it kind of is. And it has its beauty and it has its, its very, very low lows. But it's just a book that's always stuck with me and I've always loved. I, I, do, I do love that. I like a good family, not like a family story like that, but like a, a following like a dynasty and a legacy and seeing yeah. that transform and work. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And the first thing you do when you wake up. I sing a song to my daughter <laughs> about the morning time, actually. <laughs> so yes, it's all about her these days. I'm not going to sing it, but I was going to ask. <laughs> but thank you for for asking. I, mean, a, I know I, I was thinking about it as a half Filipina. I'm always ready to karaoke, but I was I'm not warmed up, so I'm going to halt on going any further. Use, but we'll we'll go with it. I also I did expectantly wait for those listening. I was expectantly waiting, and response that you're not going to sing. So maybe next next time, if you ever have me on as a guest, we'll we'll go we'll down that path. And then the whole premise of <laughs> children's songs. Children. Uh, looking back on your career, what's one thing you're super glad you took action on and did? Or what's one thing you wish you could have done differently? So super glad action, I'm going to go with going, signing up for that coding boot camp, um, even though it felt at the time in, like an interesting thing to do and kind of like a, a big jump for me. And I'm really glad I did that because it led me to where I am today and just kind of changed my career for me. So that's the glad. And the one I wish I did differently sooner, I think it was just finding my voice. Uh, when I worked at Oracle, it was a big company. Most people were twice my age and well-seasoned and very smart. And then I had a hard time advocating for myself and and really doing what I, I do now, just talking more, I guess, and being more visible. I wish I did that sooner. There was no reason to be scared. I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of saying the wrong thing. And that was completely unfounded. So that's, that's that. How <laughs> but I've overcome. I love that. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard being like a woman too and in, in tech too, because it's like, there's so few of us, mm. which is changing. Yes. I love seeing it so much. Yeah. That's great advice. What do you say to yourself when things get tough? Usually everything will be okay. Just sleep on it. I guess it's like the high level of it. I used to be more reactive, I think. And if something would happen in the moment, it would just be sometimes, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. And it would consume me. But nowadays I'm like, you know, I'm going to react initially. Tomorrow, I'm going to feel a lot better about it. So I just try and step back, put it on pause. If I'm still worrying about it tomorrow, then it's a big problem. But it's it's never really gone past that night, honestly. Um, I know I'm equipped with all the tools I need at this age to tackle whatever's in front of me. And I am I just need to take it one night at a time. <laughs> honestly, this confidence is so inspiring and contagious. I'm so here for it. And I'm very... <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Things learned over, over time, my older age. <laughs> I don't know why you keep saying that. You're very young. <laughs> there's no... There's, I feel seasoned. Okay. <laughs> I don't know I'm why. I'm not going to humor that one, but... Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, last question. What's something that made you smile today at work? This podcast, obviously, and being here. And then aside from that, I just really... I love being on calls with the engineers and answering their questions and feeling like I contributed to what they're doing, even though like they're so technically well-versed and knowledgeable. But we were trying to figure out a problem today and I was going forward with the channel integration 
uh, thought I hit a major blocker, but then after working through it with devs, found a solution, presented it to them. They gave me the thumbs up. We all smiled and went about our day. It's, it's these little interactions that I just love communicating with that team, with that technical team and finding solutions together. I feel like we really did something <laughs> cheesy, yeah. but I don't know, but it's just nice. It's like a nice like a like sitcom episode, beautiful moment when everything kind of wraps up and comes together so well. But it's hard work that goes into that. I have this image of us like jumping into the air with like one arm up and then the frame freezes and then we're all just like happy about it. Yeah, it's just it's like these little connections. I think we work remote most of the time, almost all the time. And having these these little moments like mean a lot to me, whether it's a joke on a stand-up or or these kind of things and and yeah, it was like a, just one little thing that made me smile today. And so it is. <laughs> That's so nice. Oh, it's so cheesy, but I love it. to wrap up, honestly. I love that. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Well, oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Jeremy. You inspire me. I'm so happy that I get to work with you every single day. I feel very lucky. And I know that everybody else that has that privilege also feels very lucky. So don't leave us. <laughs> <laughs> All that goes right back to you too from the... Uh, Love working with you to Delphi. <laughs> Thank you so much. Everything in between. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today, sharing about your experiences, providing your advice. It's so valuable. I know it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much. And thank you too, Noren. Um, this was really fun. I appreciated the time and, and your time is valuable. So there's an opportunity cost to every time block that we spend with each other. So thank you for choosing me. <laughs> oh my God. For this one. Any day, any day. Any day. <laughs> we'll choose. Uh, well thank you uh, jeremy again and thanks for everybody who's listening as always stay happy safe and inspired enjoy hopefully crawling out of 2023 if it was rough to start it's only gonna go up from here i promise right. That's right. <laughs> and we will see you next time all right thanks Aaron. thank you 